Uh, hey, how are we doing tonight? You guys feeling good? Wow, lots of energy. Um, hey, if we haven't met yet, my name's Preston. I'm on staff here with the Saul Company. Uh, I get to do a lot of fun things. Sometimes I'm the guy with the pickup, and sometimes I'm the guy on stage, so it's exciting. Um, hey, let's just jump in, all right? So today, studying, uh, I should say this week, studying kind of for this text, um, I started thinking about household appliances, which is kind of uh, normal for me, and thinking about the warning labels. You guys ever read the warning labels on these? Um, there's some pretty wild ones out there. Uh, warning labels, you know, they don't, they don't tell you how to operate the machine, but, but they are very informative and, and extremely helpful. So here's a couple that uh, are just normal household appliances that, or, or items around someone's house that I think are important to understand. So an iron, you know, to iron your clothes, the warning label would read on that, do not iron your shirt while wearing it. Okay, so that's important, okay? Especially for a guy like me, I often like don't put my clothes away when I ought to. My wife is so kind, she'll like fold it up for me, get it ready to be put away, and it sits there for a week. And then I finally need it on a Thursday night, and I pick it out, and it's like, shoot, I'm you know, in a hurry. And anyways, um, hair dryer, hair dryer. Warning label on a hair dryer says this, don't use while sleeping. Okay, so you're not allowed to use a hair dryer while sleeping. That's not, a, that's not a space heater, okay, ladies? It's not a space heater. If it's cold in the dorm, don't just crank that baby. You're not supposed to, right? Um, a wheelbarrow. I know most college students don't have a wheelbarrow, but wheelbarrows, so you know, they're, they're not recommended for highway use, okay? Wheelbarrow's not recommended, specifically one with a 13-inch rim. Okay, that's what it says. Christmas lights for indoor or outdoor use, Okay. I don't know where else you would use it. That's the confusing part about that. Where else are you going to use it? Like, I'm going somewhere with this, okay? So, hey, warning labels. Hey, warning labels, they're helpful, right? They, they, they tell you uh, how not to use an item specifically. And, and, and it's not necessarily like a step-by-step deal, but it is telling you how not to use an item. And, and so tonight, uh, we're in our series... Uh, for the wise. And our topic tonight is alcohol. And alcohol, uh, there's, there's some warning labels to it. There's some warnings against alcohol. Specifically, in our text tonight, we'll be in Proverbs 23. So Proverbs 23, we're actually going to look at, hey, there's some warnings against alcohol in Proverbs 23. And so tonight, we're going to start off, before we uh, get into how to use this item, we're going to look at the warning label and, and see what the wisdom from Proverbs has for us on how not to use it. So yeah, we're in this series for the wise. Um, Hey, if it's your first time, great time to hop in with us. Right in the middle of our series, going through the book of Proverbs, uh, searching through that baby for some wisdom to apply apply to everyday life. So we're going to be talking about alcohol tonight. And, you know, alcohol is something that can be used to bring honor and glory to God, uh, but it comes with a warning. And so that's what we're going to look at for the first half of tonight. So we're going to look at these warnings, but then we're going to try to get real practical at the end. And, and I got kind of a lot of questions I'll, I'll try to bring some answers to at the end. And hopefully we can walk away with a good understanding of, good biblical understanding of alcohol. Okay, so <clears throat> chapter 23, we're going to start in verse 29 uh, of Proverbs. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and get there. Um, I love this text. So for the context of it, it's like a father giving wisdom to his son. That's kind of the context of this. So the author is writing as a father giving wisdom 
to his son how to live life. And so the, in this wisdom, we're going to find these warnings. And so I want to read this section and then kind of bring us back and, and, and wind us through it. Okay, verse 29. <clears throat> who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mass. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Hey, let me pray for us. God, we're so thankful for your word. God, we're thankful for how descriptive it is. God, we're thankful for the wisdom that can give us Lord, would you just give us a mind to be able to see the wisdom, God, to see your love, your grace, and your truth in the text tonight. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I think, you know, some people will be like, hey, I don't know if the Bible's really relatable today. Maybe not relatable to college students. And then there's a text like this that just gives like a, a, a clear description of drunkenness. And it's, it's just wild that it's even in here. Um, I like to read the Proverbs on my own time. Uh, like once a day, I'll hit, hit what on, whatever one is, is the date, and uh, I'll come to this one on the 23rd, and it's just like, catches me off guard every time. Anyways, there's, there's a lot of description here, and I want to point something out. Okay, so in verse 29, there's actually six questions that get asked real quick. And there's actually a pattern in these questions uh, that's going to be super helpful, helpful for us as we look at these warning signs uh, to, to the consumption of alcohol, or the overconsumption of alcohol. So looking at verse 29, those first two questions, it says, who has woe and who has sorrow? Who has woe and who has sorrow? See, these two questions, they're talking about emotion. Like it's asking questions about emotional health. And then the next two questions, it says, who has strife and who has complaining? These are two questions about social health. Who has strife and who has complaining? So we see emotional and then social and then it says, who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? These are questions uh, about physical health. So we see quickly that the author here sets up the section bringing emotional health to mind, social health to mind, and physical health to mind, specifically as he begins to talk about drunkenness. And so we kind of see these, these warnings against drunkenness start to line up in these three sections. So let me take us there. So it's like if there's this warning label, it just says warning. Drunkenness leads to emotional problems. So we see woes and sorrows. See, alcohol is linked to so many cases of poor mental health, specifically with depression and anxiety. See, some of this has to do with alcohol's addictive nature and its ability to suppress brain activity. And see, this is the first Warning here against overconsumption or drunkenness of alcohol. And to keep going in these questions quickly, the next warning would be warning. Drunkenness leads to social problems. See, strife 
and complaints. The, the overconsumption of alcohol ruins relationships way faster than it builds them. It ruins them way faster than it builds them. And alcohol is actually, I would say, like a fuel to conflict, just in its nature. You start to think about the way that it affects the brain and it affects, the way it affects the brain's just ability to process information. Man, that's just a fuel for conflict. And to keep going, this warning. Drunkenness leads to physical problems. The bruises and bloodshot eyes, like drunkenness leads to an inability to have proper motor skills. I mean, it's so, so descriptive in this text. See, this leads to the, the random falls, the bruises, the wounds that seem to come without a cause. See, when alcohol is consumed, it, it affects our, our ability to see blurry vision, noticeable bloodshot eyes. Like even, I mean, looking at verse 33 and 35, I mean, it's, it's right here. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. You'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I wake? I must have another drink. <clears throat> see, I, I went kind of fast there. We went kind of deep there. Man, I, I don't think I, I'm like catching anybody off guard. Like this is pretty common knowledge about drunkenness. And, and really, it's, it's rather biblical knowledge about drunkenness. This is all right, right in the text. But I kind of kept going in this, in this rabbit hole and I started looking up like, hey, scientifically, like what happens to the body when we consume alcohol, when we get drunk? What happens to the body? What happens to the mind? And, and here's just a quick like summary of, of what I found. So alcohol primarily affects the central nervous system and its impact on the brain is widespread. The most significant effects occur in the cerebral cortex, limbic system, and cerebellum. So the cerebral cortex, the cerebral cortex is responsible for various high, higher brain functions, including thinking, reasoning, and memory. Alcohol depresses the activity of the cerebral cortex, leading to impaired judgment, reduced inhibitions, and decreased coordination. The limbic system, the limbic system is involved in emotional responses and formation of memories. Alcohol can influence this area, leading to changes in mood and behavior. It may initially produce feelings of relaxation and euphoria, but excessive consumption can contribute to negative emotions such as anxiety and depression. The cerebellum, the cerebellum plays a crucial role in motor control and coordination. Alcohol affects the cerebellum contributing to the loss of balance and coordination often observed in individuals under the influence. The brainstem, the brainstem controls basic life functions such as breathing, heart rate, and body temperature. High doses of alcohol can depress these functions, leading to serious health risk. And the last one, hippocampus. The hippocampus is involved in the formation of new memories. Excessive alcohol consumption can impair memory function, leading to gaps in memory and blo or blackouts. See, all these scientific statements can be, really be summed up for what we read in the Proverbs. It's just this, this warning that drunkenness leads to emotional problems, social problems, and physical problems. I mean, this is what 
The prophets have said for like 3,000 years. And so what does this mean? All right, so what does this mean? Well, specifically, that the, the personal consumption of alcohol to the point of drunkenness is a sin. Ephesians 5.18 makes that clear. And to overconsume alcohol, man, it's, it's unwise. To get drunk is unwise. And, and it's dangerous. Because it leads to emotional problems, social problems, and physical problems. And that's the, the first warning that we see here in the Proverbs. Okay, how are we doing? We went deep fast. Um, okay, so maybe you're thinking, you're like, all right, Preston, I got it. Met church, said don't get drunk, got it. What about going to parties? Can I still go to parties? As long as I'm not drinking. If I go to bars, can I, as long as I'm not drinking. Like, what's the Bible say about that? I think the Bible's pretty clear about drunkenness, but what does the Bible say about that? Well, you're in luck. That's a great question. Um, that's our next warning in, in this proverb, actually. <clears throat> so we kind of just looked at that personal warning against drunkenness. Like that warning of what alcohol will do to your mind, to your body, how it will affect uh, you personally, emotionally, socially, and physically. But now we kind of like zoom out of that circle. There's actually a warning against uh, the, the, the community or the society that overconsumes alcohol. Or to put it in our language today, it's a warning against the party scene, or the bar scene. And I actually want to point out two words specifically that we'll get to in our text, the word hope and the word poverty. So if you're still with me, in in Proverbs 23, we're looking at verse 17 now. Verse 17. It says this. Let not your hearts envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and the slumber will clothe them with rags. Okay, so we got those two words there, and so let me just define this. So when we're talking about the, the, the party scene, the bar scene, let me just define it to get, to get some clarity here. So the, the, the party scene would be any group or, or, or gathering where everyone's sole purpose is to consume a substance. And, and I'm looking at verse 20 when I say that. When it says, uh, be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. So anybody that's just over-consuming, just indulging in a substance, whether that's alcohol, marijuana, any, any other substance, a mix of, of anything. And so obviously, like, people drink alcohol, get drunk outside of just a party or, or just a bar scene. You know, honestly, it might be more realis- realistically looking like the tailgate before a football game or the dorm down the hall. And this warning that's coming, it's a warning against uh, that crowd of people. And, and, and there's the warning specifically is what happens to us when we link ourselves to those events, to those things that are happening.
So do you guys know what FOMO is? Your boy had a severe case of FOMO growing up. All right, so I'm, <clears throat> I'm one of five boys. I got two older brothers, two younger, two younger brothers. And um, they would always play football in Larry's Field. Okay, Larry's Field, Larry was a guy in our neighborhood. So I'm like seven or eight years old. My older brothers would go and play tackle football in Larry's Field. And man, I just, had, I just wanted to be there. I felt like I was missing out on the greatest sport of all time. And they'd be like, no, nah, Preston, you can't come. You're too small. Which was like total bogus because I was the same size as my older brother, Landon. We're 15 months apart and, and, and I'm a little bit taller than him. And so I'm like, dude, if we're the same size, I gotta let me come play. But they would never let me come. And, and it got to the point where they would go without me. I'd stay at home, but they'd be playing their game and I would like time it out and they'd be playing. I'm like, okay, it's probably like first quarter. And then I would just like slowly walk and like sneak in as if like they wouldn't know who I was. And they'd be like, oh, who's this new guy that wants to play? And they would just never let me play. But finally, they said, hey, Preston, you can come play with us. I'm like, all right, bet, bro. Let's pad up. Um, so, you know, I'm eight. Uh, <laughs> they're, like, they're like 11 and 12. And, and so I go and play with these guys. And I'll never forget, man, I'm on defense, right, playing linebacker because that's how I'm built. And... And Mitchell Holland gets the ball, and he runs right up the A-gap. And see, Mitchell Holland, he was like a five-star recruit in 12th grade for a running back, at least in our neighborhood. And so, <laughs> and I'm like, gap's there. So, I, f- I mean, I fill the gap, because I'm the type of guy that fills a gap. And Mitchell's coming, and just, boom, knee straight to my face. Like, because I'm trying to hit him low, and dude just clobbers me. And, you know, I didn't get hurt. I did make the tackle. Um, it's because he tripped over me. But other than that, <laughs> other than that, so hey, why do I share this? You know, f- FOMO, the fear of missing out, right? I think that's so relatable in this room. Like, it's a real thing. You know, it's, it's funny when you're eight, but it's, it's extremely real when you're 18. And especially in a room like this, right, where we're teaching the Bible, talking about alcohol, talking about partying. Man, I think FOMO is, is so, so real in this room. Man, I know there's people here tonight that are, man, you're trying to follow Jesus. But you constantly find yourself just one foot in and one foot out. You come to Salt on Thursdays, you go to parties on Fridays, using your fake ID to go into bars. All because you just have this desire to be a part of the crowd. And man, verse 17 is talking about this so directly. It says, let not your hearts envy sinners. Is this not what's happening to you? Is this not what's happening to you? It looks, I mean, it looks so good on the outside, right? All the noise, the lights, the, snow, the smoke, the music, the laughter. I mean, it's got to be good, right? And so... I mean, why do, why, do people, why do people go to parties? Like, why do people party? Like, outside of this room, people who are like, hey, I'm a non-believer, why do they go to parties? Like, why go through all the physical stress to get drunk, the financial commitment to buy alcohol and substances? Because, I mean, you got to really be tight. There was never a time in my life that I was more tight with money than when I was not following Jesus and pursuing the party. So why do people go out? Why do people go to the bars, go to the parties? And 
I, th- I think it's maybe because it's the place where they unwind, the place to relax, kind of reset for the week. I mean, that's what I thought. But when it comes down to it, I think people go to the substance of alcohol and the party scene really for a, a source of hope. It's really for a source of hope. Like people go, go out to the bars to be liked by others, to feel like they fit in, to find their value, and, and it's to, to give them hope. And now so the, here's the question for the Christian in the room. Like where does your hope come from? Where does your hope come from? Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. I mean, if your hope comes from Jesus, then you don't need the drugs. You don't need the alcohol. You don't need the party. You don't need to go to the bars. Here is the thing, though, man. The party scene... It can never actually give you that hope. The bars, all the people, the music, the excitement, man, it cannot give you what you need. It's because the party scene, man, it overpromises and underdelivers. It overpromises and underdelivers every time. Every time. Verse 19 Hear my son and be wise and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards. Or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty. And slumber will clothe the rags. Clothed with rags. Man, this word poverty, it's actually pretty interesting. So, and I think it's really important that it's here. So this word is actually often uh, used to describe someone's inheritance. Like someone's belongings. And in this text, it's actually trying to describe the the opposite of an inheritance. So that that word poverty will come to poverty. It's like the undoing of an inheritance. So it's also said like loss of possession, dispossession, uninherent, which is hard to say. And, And sure, like, man, going out every weekend to drink, to party, I mean, that's gonna cost money. I mean, inflation, right? And like, sure, this text is, is hinting at like, hey, that lifestyle costs a lot of money. But I actually think there's something deeper here. That as a believer, if you're trying to follow Jesus and, and you're living one foot in, one foot out, going to the bars every weekend, I mean, you're actually going to lose something even deeper than that. See, as a Christian, our inheritance I mean, it's hope. Our inheritance is, is hope. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins, man, then you have a hope for a future in heaven. Like that hope, it's just so, it's so tangible in your everyday life. But when you surround yourself with people that are searching for hope in the alcohol, in the substance, in the party, in the bars, when you surround yourself with the people searching for hope in that direction, you'll start to search for hope in the same direction. I mean, if you start searching for hope in the same, same way that, that they are, man, you're going you're to figure out, man, you start to lose your hope. Because you start to forget about Jesus. You, for, you start to forget about what he's 
provided for you. And so this is, this is the warning here. Going to parties leads to a loss of hope. So if there's a, a warning label that this author's trying to put on the party scene, he says, warning. Going to the bars, going to the parties, it leads to a loss of hope. And this is, I mean, this is how we see it manifested today. So this is, this is often how we see this kind of in this room, in this setting tonight. So <clears throat> let's say you're a believer, right? You're, you confess that Jesus is Lord, that you, you, you believe uh, that God raised him from the dead, right? So you, you're following Jesus, but yet you still go out every weekend with your fake ID, and you, you have uh, these desires. You have these desires to indulge your flesh, but yet you have the Holy Spirit in you, so uh, you, you don't fully give in. You don't fully give in to what your, your heart desires, what your flesh desires. And so you, you deprive yourself of, of enjoying these fleshly desires because the, the, the grace of God is on you, the common grace of God. Maybe it's your conscience. It keeps you from fully enjoying what your flesh desires. But then when you, when you come here or, or connection group or church on a Sunday morning, you have enough of the world in you that it keeps you from enjoying Jesus. And then you almost feel like this, this guilt. And, and, you know, I'm hesitant to even say that word guilt. And, man, you don't want to feel guilty. You don't want to feel guilty. That's why you come to church. That's why you're trying to follow Jesus. But really what you want is you just want to do your own thing. You just want to do whatever you want. And you're stuck in this, this limbo where you're not fully indulging in the flesh, but you're not fully following Jesus either. And you're just stuck in the middle in this kind of blah, gray area. And man, if, man, if that's you in the room tonight, then let tonight be the moment where you leave the world behind and run fully after Jesus and experience the joy that he has to offer. Because man, it's good. It's a warning. Going to the bars, going to the parties, it leads to a loss of hope. And so we've been pretty heavy so far. But warning labels, man, they're important. And so, man, we're getting deep in these warning labels against alcohol and the, the personal consumption, right? Social consumption. Uh, but hey, there's still a lot of questions on the table, right? Okay, so... Don't get drunk. Don't go to parties. But like, when can I drink? How much can I drink? Who can I drink around? If I'm a Christian, can I even drink? I mean, these are, these are good, good questions. Really important questions to ask even. And so I want to do the best I can to, to answer them all tonight. And so if you're taking notes, I'm going to give you kind of like five statements. And they'll all start with, you can drink if... And I'll try to, to, to break it down, throw some scripture up on the screen. So we're going to pull out of uh, the Proverbs for a quick second and just look at all of scripture. Because the Bible actually talks a lot about alcohol and how to use it. There's a lot of wisdom principles all throughout scripture. So asking the question here, when can I drink? When can I drink? Like how old do I have to be? And see the Bible itself, like it does not give a certain drinking age. 
The Bible itself does not give a certain drinking age. So does, does this mean that you can drink at any age? No. I mean, my daughter's four. If you give her alcohol, four months to be specifically, so if you give her alcohol, I'm going to kill you. Okay, but let's get, let's get serious. Let's get serious here, right? Like, does this, what, what, so the Bible doesn't say a drinking age, right? But the way that Scripture speaks into this is that our government, our government does restrict the drinking age. So, unless you've been living on a rock, you have to be 21 years old to buy and consume alcohol in the state of Michigan, right? That's, the, that's what the government lays out here where we live. But scripture would tell us that we actually need to submit to those government authorities. So, you are permitted by scripture to consume alcohol when the law permits you to drink alcohol. And this is all coming from Romans 13. Romans 13, verses uh, 1 and 2 specifically. Just let me read them to you. Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Okay, so here's the statement. You can drink if you're, if you're 21. You can drink if you are 21. And so what that would mean is, I mean, if you're here tonight and you drink alcohol under the age of 21, regardless of where you are, whether you're at home, whether you're at the bars, regardless, you're going against the earthly authorities that God has instituted for us to follow. And therefore, we're sinning against God. When we consume alcohol under age, we're openly sinning against God. And man, you should never, should never do that. I mean, if that's you, man, I mean, I'm just want to encourage you. Man, re- repent from that. Turn from that. Like our God is so gracious. The Lord, the Lord, abounding in steadfast love and, fit, and faithfulness. Man, that's his character. He loves us. He's gracious towards us. I'd encourage you to repent, man. Okay, so how much, right? How much can we drink? That's a common question. College, just everyday life. Well, scripture is pretty clear. Um, drunkenness is a sin. Ephesians 5, 18 makes it clear. Uh, this is what that says. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, but Preston said don't get drunk with wine. What about, what about bush lattes? It's like, okay, buddy. All right. Okay, to get into the weeds of this, The sin of drunkenness is the sin of debauchery, which is simply the indulgence of a substance. So to indulge in any any alcoholic drink, that would be considered sin, if we want to play that word game, you know? Um, So that's pretty clear. So you can drink if it's not excessive. You can drink if it's not excessive. Or else said, you can drink if it is not in excess. Okay, so the next question is, is kind of similar. Okay, so I can't drink excessively, but how often can I drink? 
I can have a beer every night, once a week. Maybe I'm not getting drunk, but like, how often can I drink? Can I drink one beer every hour? Common questions. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 6 and actually and, and 2 Peter 2 speak to this uh, pretty well. This is actually a really important question, a very, very important principle for the Christian life. Starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. And I think First Peter or Second Peter expounds on this even more. Verse 19, 2 Peter 2. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Peter's talking about the context there. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So it's talking about a lot of self-control here. So you can drink as long as you're not mastered by it. Like if, if you feel like you have to have a glass of wine every night to fall asleep or you have to have a beer to watch the game, man, that, I would say it's a red flag. It seems like it's, it's mastered you. To say you have to have this drink to be able to do this activity. So to give it in the statement, how often can I drink? You can drink if you are not mastered by it. You can drink if you're not mastered by it. Okay, some more questions here as we begin to wrap up. So who can I drink alcohol with? It's a common question. Is it only Christians? Only non-believers? Who can I drink alcohol with? Well, it's not so much related to salvation. It's more so uh, related to the heart of those people. Because, man, you, you don't want to drink around people who are going to fall into sin because of your drinking. So, like, this could be uh, you have a recovering alcoholic in your family that may f- fall back into drinking uh, because of y- your presence and, and you drinking around them would encourage them to start drinking again. I would say, hey, look, definitely don't, definitely don't do that. Care for your relative and don't drink around them. See, this could be your friend who's, who's not a believer who uh, wants to drink solely for the purpose to get drunk. Like, maybe you're a college student, you're 21 or older, but you have friends that really like to, to drink a lot. I mean, I would encourage you not to drink around them. Because what you do, uh, what you do in front of them, man, they're going to do, I'm sorry, I forgot the saying. This is the saying. What you do in moderation, they will do in excess. And that's a very important pr- principle, especially when it comes to alcohol. So this could even look, uh, this could even be like the legalistic Christian. Like maybe you have a, a, a Christian friend, or maybe it's your grandma, or something in between, that, man, if, if you drink around them, maybe you're 21, you're, you're checking all the other boxes, but they, as more of a legalistic Christian, man, they fall into the sin of judgmentalism because of your drinking. Then, man, I would encourage you, and Scripture would encourage you, to not drink. And it has nothing to do with your heart, but everything to do with their heart. And so let me read this text this is coming from. It's a little bit longer here, and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 9 through 13. Okay, so imagine that in the church of Corinth, they're having the same discussion we're having tonight about alcohol, 
but they're talking about food sacrifice to idols, where you got the people that are legalistic, like, hey, if you eat food sacrificed to idols, you are worshiping a false god. And other people are like, dude, it's just like, it's barbecue. Like, yeah, nothing to worry about. Like, and so that's the conversation they're having, but they're talking about being a stumbling block for the weak. So let me just read this, verse 9. But, but take care that this, that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? That's saying like, hey, they see you eating food offered to idols, and then so they then go and worship false gods. Verse 11, and so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother uh, for whom Christ died. This sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Powerful text. I mean, this is the same thing with alcohol. Like, there's, there's nothing wrong with never having a drink of alcohol. There's nothing wrong with never having a drink of alcohol. Like, I know I got a lot of Christian brothers and sisters I mean, that's just not their thing. Whether they don't like the taste or, you know, they grew up in the South where culturally Christians just don't drink. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's totally fine to be your thing. And, and man, we're, we're allowed to withhold hold from it. And honestly, you know, most of us in this room, just because most of us are under the age of 21, man, we ought to learn how to withhold from alcohol. And so here's the statement. You can drink if it does not cause someone else to stumble. You can drink if it does not cause someone else to stumble or cause someone else to sin. So here's the, here's the last one. This one's pretty simple. You can drink if it glorifies God. So this comes from 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And I mean, the question to ask is, so how do we know for drinking to glorify God? I mean, I would say that it, to answer that question, it depends on the way that you answer the first four questions, or the first four things we just looked at. Man, if you're over the age of 21, 21 or older, if you're not drinking in excess, if you're not mastered by it and you're not causing someone else to stumble, man, I think you can consume alcohol in a way that glorifies God. And so just to, to hit the, that list real quick again, it says you can drink if you are 21, Romans 13, 1 and 2. You can drink if it's not in excess, Ephesians 5, 18. You can drink... If you're not mastered by it, that's 1 Corinthians 6. And you can drink if it does not cause someone else to stumble. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9. And then you can drink if it glorifies God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Man, bless you. Um, hey, we've been all over the place tonight. Obviously a big topic. Mediumly relatable college students. 
But we're talking about the warning labels of alcohol and, and talking about really like how you should consume alcohol with a biblical worldview. And this is kind of how I want to uh, kind of lay in the plane tonight. Um, so I've mentioned before, I got, you know, I got brothers, I got four brothers, I got two older brothers, two younger brothers. Um, we didn't grow up going to church. So it means uh, most of my family non-believers. And um, I, got, I got permission to share this. And so my oldest brother, he's been going through Alcoholics Anonymous for about two months now. So he's pretty fresh into it. And so I, as I'm kind of preparing to, this text, preparing to teach this, I was like, you know what, I might as well shoot my shot and say, hey, hey Kyle, you got any, anything that kind of knowing where you're at right now, like looking back in college, is there anything that you wish you could have learned, wish you could have heard? Really, I'm just, I just like asked him like a super open-ended question. And then he didn't text me back for a day and I got kind of sad. Um, but then he did. And he goes, dude, absolutely, I would love to help. And then he didn't text me after that for another day. Um, but then he goes, dude, I should just call you. So I said, all right. So he calls me and, uh, we're talking on the phone. Dude, I'll never forget. I'm, I'm, I'm in the car. And, uh, so he calls me and he's like, dude, I've been thinking so much about this. And the first thing he says is, I'm not sure that this will be relatable, but he says, I found that when I was in college, I, I went to the parties over, uh, I went to the parties every weekend just to get, just to get drunk because, because that was his way to unwind like, and kind of reset for the week. So it was like every weekend I got to go, go to the parties, get drunk, uh, just to kind of reset the week, unwind, relax. And he's like, it, it was all fun to start, but it didn't take long to where it actually turned into, man, this is kind of a necessity in my life. And so week after week, um, it went from that place of fun and relaxation to slowly turning into that necessity, and, and that actually transitioned into my young adult life. And he said week after week, he would go to work, and then over and over again, just living for the weekend. And it was like, this is what he said, he's like, it's like in my life, I had this like alcohol cup. This is how he described it. He's like, I had this cup in my life that I just had to keep filling with alcohol this alcohol cup. And he's like, it's like I could never get it full enough. We had to keep going back to it over and over and over again. But when I finally got help, I was introduced to God. And now I have this God cup in my life. And this God cup just is always full. All the time. And I mean, I've realized that I don't need this alcohol cup anymore. Because I have this God cup. And then he says this. He's like, I don't know how else to explain it. It's just like I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not afraid of my future. I'm not afraid of what my relationships might end up with. I don't know. It's kind of weird. I'm just not afraid anymore. And dude, I'm like listening to this, like trying not to cry. I'm like, Kyle, that's it's called hope. You have hope now. I mean, if you're here tonight and you feel like alcohol in the party scene has a grip on your life, you need to know that Jesus can give you everything that you need. Jesus can give you hope. And he lived the perfect life. He, he died the death that you and I deserve to die. 
to pay for our sins on the cross so we could be filled with hope. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. And let me pray for us that, that God would set you free and God would give you hope. God, there's a, there's a part of me that feels like I just babbled on for, for 30 minutes, but Father, I pray that the people would not leave this room confused about the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, we know that there's people in this room tonight that are they're stuck one foot in the world and one foot out, and God, would your grace bring them into a life fully on mission with you? Jesus, would you move inside the hearts of our friends that that have never placed their faith in Jesus. And God, would you use the sermon, God, would you use the topic of alcohol to bring people to faith tonight? Lord, we're just praying that you would set people free the same way you set us free. God, we're praying that in Jesus' name. Amen.